Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. It's hour number two. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the program, you missed our discussions on what might be happening with the Vancouver Canucks now that Luke Shen has been traded. Also, Irfan Gafar weighed in with some of his thoughts and what he's hearing around the team. We are less than three days away from the NHL trade deadline. Uh, and it's been a wild day, Sat. Um, apparently, some GMs didn't get the memo that Friday is the deadline because we've seen a lot of pieces move. And most recently, the Patrick Kane deal to the New York Rangers has officially been gone through the league and the trade call has been completed. Everyone, everyone likes half-day Fridays. Yes. So, you know, I think GMs are making sure that they have, they have a half-day on Friday. Get ahead of it now and don't, don't put in hard work ahead of the weekend. Uh, just some of the players that have been moved today. Gustav Nyquist is with the Minnesota Wild. Matthias Ekholm is an Edmonton Oiler. Luke Shen, a Maple Leaf third-round pick coming to the Vancouver Canucks. Pierre Engvall is headed to the New York Islanders. We saw Marcus Johansson go to the Minnesota Wild as well. Jesse Pugliarvi kicked off the day uh, by moving to the Carolina Hurricanes uh, from the Edmonton Oilers, taking on his entire cap hit as well. So um, that was a big one. And I will say, if uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is ever going to figure it out as a solid middle six forward, <laughs> that's probably going to be in Carolina, where uh, just you have a lot of guys like Jesse Pugliarvi who uh, drive at least a decent amount of shots, play decent defensively, but have terrible finishing skills. Yeah, and, and also, as much as the, the numbers are great defensively for him, the metrics are good, but I'm curious to see in a different organization if you see a, a coach hold him to that same standard about the quote-unquote details right. and responsibilities. Because that's what it keeps coming back to when you talk to coaches who coach Pugliar Whether it's fair or not, that seems to be the thing. And people keep saying he needs to get out of Edmonton. So we'll see. Uh, has been a couple of coaches he's gone through there that uh, didn't love everything Jesse Pugliarvi did, even though some of the numbers do. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Cam Robinson of Elite Prospects. His details are always on point. What's happening, Cam? Not much, boys. What's going on with you? Oh, just wondering what's going on with the uh, Canucks and Pittsburgh Penguins. What are you hearing on that front as you were <laughs> tweeting about it earlier? Yeah, so you know me. I'm not an insider, uh, but I hear some things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been uh, I've been working on the the scouting angle, and so I, I talk to a lot of teams, a lot of scouts, some some people in the front offices, and you know, we're talking about players, and it's all off the record. It ends up leading to some more discussions about some different things, mm-hmm. and you know, I just had a couple people tell me that uh, you know that there was there was some smoke around JT Miller ahead of the deadline. Whether or not it could get done or not is that you know his name was out there, mm-hmm. um, and that it maybe had some legs. Um, and uh, so you know, I, I also heard that Brock Besser was more seriously in play, maybe with that Pittsburgh angle. Um, so you know, kind of kind of piggybacking on what. Uh, 
what Shana had uh, reported as well is that she heard maybe some substantial movement between Vancouver and Pittsburgh with a big name involved, whether or not we consider Brock Besser a big name anymore. I think we do here in Vancouver, um, especially with the amount of money he's making. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it appears to have some legs, but as we know this time of year, you know, it's a very fluid situation. Uh, there's lots of information, some misinformation, mm-hmm. uh, lots of things going on out there. So, you know, I put it out there with the caveat that, you know, something that I'm hearing, but nothing's done. And, uh, and we'll kind of go from there. And, uh, I do think that there's been some, some deep conversations anyways, and, uh, we'll see where things go, but, uh, it turns out today is almost like trade deadline day. So we'll <laughs> see if uh, the next couple of days can have as much fun. No kidding. Right. Cause I mean, all the information I've had on the Canucks on JT is that, Hey, there are two players who they don't want to trade Pedersen and Hughes, everybody else, yeah. right. They're open to it. And they're open. If somebody makes an offer for these guys, they'll listen. Right. And this time of year, Cam, you know, this even teams that aren't looking to trade guys are still listening on their guys because that's the time for you to do. So I think a lot of this is also natural. Like teams are talking about players and their names are out there. The question is how close are they on something? And my information is JT's not close to Pittsburgh. But does that mean JT may not get traded by Friday? It could happen, right? Because somebody could come calling by Friday and make that type of offer. So I think that's the when – when you mentioned you outlined, hey, these are things we've kind of heard – a lot of players get talked about this time of year, right? And that's why sometimes you see things come out of left field because a lot of discussions are had just because it's the opportunity to have those discussions. Yeah, without a doubt. And sometimes, you know, something can happen and it can happen quickly. But in the case of a player like JT Miller with his contract extension coming up is that that's a deal that that it's unlikely to just come together very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the cap ramifications alone. Um a player like Besser, who you know has a significant cap hit, but has far fewer years left on his deal, I think a little bit easier uh, for teams to navigate at this point too. So yeah, like you said, everything can change with one phone call. Um, I, I do think you're right that teams are they're out there, they're listening on their players, they're asking about players. Uh, this is when all the fun happens, and then it'll all shut down, and it'll funnel re-begin at the draft, and, and we can do this all over again, where there's a, a lot more freedom for for teams to operate around that cap too. So uh, on the the trade the Canucks made yesterday, acquiring Josh Bloom from the Buffalo Sabers, uh, you tweeted out a couple of initial thoughts uh, on the player. What do you see in in Josh Bloom? I really like this trade for Vancouver. Um, I did not like the trade that uh, they did to to get Riley Stillman in the first place. Obviously, it was you know a big part of that was getting rid of Dickinson and his money, um, but to attach that second round pick. To a player that you know doesn't appear to be a, a serviceable NHLer uh, was a lot to, to swallow. So to recoup a player like Josh Bloom, who has taken significant strides since his draft minus one season because he didn't have a draft eligible season, um, playing with Saginaw there, you know he had a very muted kind of first year in the league as a 16 year old, as many will, um, and then instead of looking to go play somewhere else when COVID shut down their year in 2021, he decided to just stay, work out practice, train, and see what would happen the next year. Lo and behold, you know, Buffalo saw something they liked in him and they took him, you know, 95th overall. I remember at the time that there were a few eyebrows raised when that pick came out, um, that the upside was a question mark. Uh, What kind of player was he going to be? Was he even going to be a good junior player? Um, I think he's certainly put those concerns to rest with how he's played now these last couple of seasons, 30-goal scorer last year, um, you know, captain of his team before he got traded to North Bay, uh, point-of-game guy excellent penalty killer you know he's a six foot two kid he's got good speed 
and he really, really shows it off on the penalty kill. I think he had six or seven shorthanded goals last season, uh, a real weapon on that penalty kill, which is, which is what you want to see from a player who likely projects to be in your bottom six, if he can become an NHL type asset. Um, you know, I, I think he has enough offense to kind of keep the lights on that you can, you can look at him and be like, yeah, he, he can handle himself. He can move the puck around a well. He has a, he has a good release. Um, but the name of his game is, is driving the middle, driving the net, um, getting in there, getting some dirty goals. Um, like I said, the PK work, he's, he's fairly physical. Um, I, I legitimately think that this is a player who could be an asset for the Canucks in their bottom six in a few years. You know, get him into the system, get him into U- or, uh, Abbotsford and get their hands on him and really mold him into the type of player they want him to be. Um, that size, that skating ability. And I should mention, too, he's got great acceleration, really great top end speed. And his, uh, his skating mechanics could still be kind of flushed out a little mm-hmm. bit, too. That there's, there's room for improvement there, that it could even be a stronger asset. Um, so I had a couple of people ask me, you know, like, is this kind of Will Lockwood, but a few years younger? Right. Um, uh, yes and no. You know, he's he's bigger, so his body's going to be able to withstand the type of game that he's going to be playing, and he'll be able to inflict more punishment. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, a touch more offense baked in there, too, that we're going to see. I love a player that's just, you know, the the trajectory is trending upwards, and that's exactly what he's been doing the last couple of seasons. Well, and I think... It's really interesting when you look at, he comes from a system, one of the deepest systems in the National Hockey League, where maybe he's not even a top 25 prospect, to this Canuck system where he kind of comes in and all of a sudden he's probably a top 15 prospect, probably not top 10, but probably comes in top 15 in the Canucks range. And the Canucks have a long way to go, but it shows you two things. One, it was really positive that they got a prospect that is tangibly valuable, but also how much more work they have to do to keep adding, despite the fact they've added raw to and now bloom to the fold. Yeah, it really highlights just where their, their prospect pipeline is at. Cause you're absolutely right. Like he, he was going to be a long shot to play in the in Buffalo's top nine, you know, ever sort of thing with, with the amount of assets they have. Even if they start packaging some of those guys up or if some guys don't break right, he was way, way down that list. Um, but you're right, he steps in and just, you know, without giving it too much thought, I could see him being immediately jumping into the to the, the top 10 for Vancouver's prospects. Um, you know, he's a third round pick. He's a 19 year old who has that size and that speed. Um, and he has some good production junior leagues. They don't have a lot of players that kind of fit that mold at this point. So I do think it was a really smart grab. They identified a player um, who has an NHL upside and they got rid of one who, you know, still had term on his deal and wasn't helping out. You know, he was more of a hindrance than a help. Um, Not really sure what the motivation for Buffalo was to do that other than potentially, you know, Mm -hmm. giving him an opportunity long-term to get some NHL looks um, and to get some, some, you know, some gaps on the blue line, which at this time of year on a team fighting for a playoff spot, you, you always want to have that guy that can be eight, nine on your depth chart. If some injuries come up that he can, he can handle NHL minutes. But uh, yeah, I thought that was some really nice work from, from Alvin. So the uh, retooling but not rebuilding Canucks uh, now have uh, seven selections in the first four rounds of this upcoming draft. I know there's always going to be debate about every move that this new front office has made, but they've they've definitely tried to maximize, you know, what they are here this year and – really adding to their prospect pool. And uh, you do that by adding more picks in this upcoming draft. Yeah, without a question. And, and, you know, this is a good draft. It's not as it was lauded years out, right. As being maybe a Kingmaker class, right. You know, rivaling 2015 or 2003, it's not going to be that. It obviously has that dynamic talent at the top, that generational talent in Connor Bedard. And then it has a couple other players that could end up being like true superstars kind of sprinkled in that top five. 
Um, and then it kind of gets to that mushy middle. And, and we, we run into this fairly frequently, even on good drafts, is that there's this year there's not a lot of high-end defensemen. There's a lot of small wingers, um, so those the, those kind of bring it down a little bit. But there's still some depth, and there's still going to be some players that you want in the second round. There's going to be some darts to be thrown in the third and fourth round. So for Vancouver, a team that has just kind of been like picks, whatever, right? We don't we don't care about them. Let's just grab guys that are in their early to mid twenties, and hopefully we can fill the gap down the road. Um, this is nice to see that they're they're starting to accumulate, and and now it's going to be on that scouting staff. Yeah. Um, you know, they do, they do the work all year. They, they, it's time to, time to grab some assets and really make hay where, where they have some opportunities where in the past they haven't been, they've been sitting around twiddling their thumbs until day two or, you know, wait until the hundreds to get their second pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult to pull NHLers at that point, but if you have more chances, obviously it's going to increase your likelihood of getting some talent. And, and these guys aren't going to be players that you're going to be getting until, you know, four or five years down the road, but that's what you need. And that's what obviously is missing greatly from their pipeline right now. Uh, now, Cam, let's nerd out on some of the first-round prospects uh, that the Canucks might be looking at. Because we'll see where the Canucks end up picking, right? I mean, let's say they don't get a top three or four pick. Um, we all know about, you know, Connor Bedard and Fantilli and Carlson. How intrigued are you by players like Zach Benson, um, who potentially could still play center? Like, what, what do you make of Zach Benson? He's one of the smartest players in the draft. I love watching him play. He still can get quicker, obviously, and, and work on his skating. Can he actually play center, you think? I think so, but it, he will have to increase that speed because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not too often we see a kid his size be able to play the middle of the ice in the NHL. But like you said, he is arguably the smartest player in this class. I love that Benson. I don't, I think that his skating, the, you know, people kind of poo-poo it a little bit. I don't think it's that bad at all. I think he's very quick and darting, um, stops and starts, you know, his inside edges, his outside edges on cutbacks. Um, he really maximizes everything that he has at his disposal at this point. Um, but he's not Braden Point, right? Who, one yeah. of those smaller guys who can play in the middle of the ice and dominate in the middle of the ice because of that electric speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect that he's going to learn to skate like that at, at any point. Um, so there is a decent chance that he doesn't play in the middle of the ice. That said, I'd be more than happy to take Zach Benson at number five overall if I'm any team, because I think he's that smart, that talented, points just follow him around because he knows where to go on the ice. He knows how to set up his teammates, finds pockets. He can finish. He can dish it. He's got great hands. Um, I I really, really like this kid, even if he is a winger. So um, I I am a fan of his, but you know, like we're saying is that I was mentioning is that there's a lot of small wingers. Um, Once you get past Fantilli and Carlson, you know, it's Mishkoff, it's Benson, it's Cristal, it's, um, you know, even Will Smith is really slight. He'll probably play the middle, but maybe not. It's, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks in, in some of those players where the upside is definitely there, uh, but maybe the floor isn't nearly as high as you'd like. So with Mitchkoff, um, the numbers are starting to, to really stack up for him since he's uh, been loaned to Sochi there. Um, there's been a lot of wonder of where he ends up here in this first round. The talent is sort of undeniable. How do you think this plays out with Mitchkoff and, and the draft? I think he slides despite you know he went to Sochi it was a a, you know a bit of a transition for him there where you know he put up a few points he went a few games without and then he just was a rocket down the stretch and so he ends his draft eligible season in the KHL as the most productive draft eligible player ever in that league above Ovechkin and Tarasenko and Mm -hmm. Kuznetsov and all those guys he's put up more points per game than any of those players 
obviously when he went to Sochi, getting first line minutes, getting first power play minutes is something that the majority of those players didn't have when they were skating in their draft eligible seasons. But still, he didn't have a lot to work with and he was putting up numbers and he was doing it in dramatic fashion too. Like he was making plays on the ice. I really like his game. He's highly dynamic. I think he really improved his playmaking this season where in years past in the MHL and in junior leagues, he was kind of a one-man show. And if it wasn't going for him, then he wasn't doing much else. Um, he was really starting to use his teammates more uh, in the VHL and then on the move to Sochi as well. So I personally think that he's arguably the number three prospect in this class. Um, but the reason I say he's going to slide is that, you know, I, I've just been talking to those, some of those same teams that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, I, I try to pick their brain and nobody knows who's going to go where and what, but at the same time, they're, they're kind of getting the same feeling that I'm getting is that we could see him be available at eight at pick nine mm. at pick 10. Um, you know, a team like Vancouver who has two first round picks could be ripe to be like, Hey, let's grab them. Mm-hmm. And then we've got another first rounder maybe, um, and then we can you know, show that one out, roll them out like the show pony and be like, here's our first rounder. And then we'll wait three years to get this dynamic talent. A team like Montreal, same thing, right? A couple of first rounders likely to be in the top 15. They could do that. Um, so he could, he could get taken at four or five. It wouldn't surprise me either, but I could also definitely see him being around at 10 and then somebody's going to get themselves just a, just a treat that they'll have to wait for. But when he's 21, he's coming over on his entry level deal he could be a highly impactful player as a rookie. And that's what you do, right? You get that mm-hmm. player now and you spend the next three years getting your team good enough that you can infuse them into your lineup. And all of a sudden you got yourself a first line winger on an ELC. Now you're talking. Yeah. I mean, if you have two picks, I, I, I wouldn't be afraid of taking Mitch Because I think he's just so dynamic and talented that I just take, I take the risk, you know, and I understand some teams bet on the talent. Yeah. I would, but Hey, people have different pressures, right? Organizations can't just sit like me on radio and talk about this for three years and wait (laughs) for the player. Like it's, it's a bit different, (laughs) but you know, in terms of players who might leap up, uh, and get into that top five, six range, there's always a defenseman that finds squirrels his way in. Usually it seems like who could that defenseman be? Could it be David Reinbacher? Could it be Axel sending Palika? Could one of those guys emerge in the top 10? Yeah, there's a lot of buzz uh, around Reinbacher. Um, you know, there's some teams that really, really like him a lot. I could, I could certainly see him going around. You know, that ten mark. Um, you know, there. Uh, I'm not sure Sandin Palika has has the size to to kind of mm-hmm. get in there. Same with Mikhail Guliev. Um, but you know, Dmitry Simashev is is a player that we at EP Ringside have earmarked mm-hmm. as like this guy is probably a top five prospect in this class that nobody's really talking about. Um, he's six foot four, highly mobile, creates what he's been doing in the KHL this year has been really, really impressive despite not putting up points because, you know, that just doesn't really happen for draft eligible defensemen. But he plays really strong two-way game. He has like tremendous shutdown potential. Um, another player who I think has enough offense to, to keep things rolling and that you can put him in your top four long-term and be like, he can move the puck with his feet. He can move the puck with his pass. And he can just thwart chances. Um, you know, he's, he's a really nice, he's a really nice player and, uh, and someone that you know, we could see him going in that, you know, seven to 10 range, or maybe not, you know, he, mm-hmm. Alexander Nikishin did very similar things in his draft year and went all the way to the third round to Carolina. And now you look at him, he's breaking all sorts of KHL records for a defenseman. And he looks like he's going to be a top pairing defenseman and they're very comparable skill sets. So um, I'd be surprised if a D-man did slip into the top five this year, just because of how top heavy it is on forwards and how there isn't really that, that game breaker on the blue line. Um, but we know teams, teams pay for center icemen and they pay for defenders. And so if a team gets it in their mind that we need a D 
Um, and I could, I could see Reinbacher probably being the one I'd bet on slipping in around that 10 spot. Will Smith or Oliver Moore? Oh boy, I'm going to write an article about this later in the year too. Um, so I haven't, I haven't officially made my decision, but it is something that we debate on our, on our uh, group chat at, uh, for EP Ringside all the time. I've liked Will Smith a lot all season long. He's really, really creative. Mm-hmm. Um, the work ethic bothers me though. He can, he can get a little complacent on the back check, a little complacent on the four check. Um, you know, he has kind of situational habits where he has, these moves that he uses kind of as he's curling around the top of the zone, he'll fake a, a backhand drop pass and a, most of the time they bite on it. And then he keeps going on the forehand and cuts down low. Um, you know, he'll fake a down low cut and then hit a dish into the middle. So he has these plays that work really, really well at the junior level. Um, but in the pros teams are going to be easy to game plan against him, especially if he's not mm-hmm. reading and reacting and it's more just situational that he has the same tricks that he's pulling out any slight, um, so there is some risk with his game, but man, like some of the plays that he can make are, are really impressive. Um, and then Oliver Moore, right? Just speed for days. And I love a player who has good speed. Um, neither of them I wouldn't rate as like overly super high hockey IQ, um, good enough. Uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> that's what I mean. Once you get into kind of that mushy middle is that I don't love either of them. I'm having a hard time falling in love with many players outside of the top five this year. Um, there's there's some good things to like, and then there's some some things you're a little concerned about. You know, their other teammate, Ryan Leonard, might be the best of the bunch. Oh, I was going to um, ask you about Ryan Leonard, right? Because, like, you know what, Cam? I watch Ryan Leonard, and I love watching that guy play. And and I could be wrong, but I, I think there was a chance he could, he could play center watching him play. Yeah, it's it's not outrageous. And he, and he plays a more pro-style game yeah. where he's like a north-south guy. He's a heavy shot. He gets to the to the middle of the ice. He gets to the net front, um, hard on the forge check, a little mm-hmm. better in his own zone too. So, you know, I'm not sure if he's, he's ever going to play the middle, but I think he's definitely going to be a pro. Um, and I'll say one more guy. Samuel Honzik is, is a player that I've heard some whispers that some teams really, really like him. And he could be a player that could surprise um, jumping up into that top 10 too. And that's another bigger body guy who can play the middle of the ice. He's one of these guys who's really popped in his first year in the WHL. And I think that if he can figure out a way to, instead of when he gets pressured, he kind of goes into puck protection mode immediately. And if he can find a way to receive that pressure and maintain some creativity and draw it in and then make a play rather than just protecting it, the sky's the limit for him. Like he could have serious offense if he can handle that pressure. And, you know, this is his first year in, in the West. And, and I think, you know, the, the numbers speak for themselves, but there's room to grow for him too. So a kid like Samuel Honzik is, you know, a lot of, a lot of rankings have him in the mid twenties or something like that. Don't be surprised if he creeps up as we get close to the draft and, and a team jumps on him in the top 10. Can't wait for you to break the Canucks and Penguins trade. Uh, we'll, we'll see it over the next couple of days. All right. Love it. Sounds good. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Cam. <laughs> All right, take care. Uh, there is uh, Cam Robinson. Always great. Elite uh, Prospects is where you can find his work. Hockey Robinson on Twitter. And uh, we will have many more Prospect Centrals to come as we continue to break down the first round of the NHL entry draft. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.